0: Greetings and welcome to another Different Church podcast. I am recording this at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. Forgive me. Normally, I would have this thing knocked out on Sunday night, but, you know, life happens sometimes. And I'm especially sad I didn't have it done already because this Sunday we had an awesome guest speaker. So, Shannon, forgive me that I didn't get this out ASAP so the world could hear what a great job you did. Anyway, we'll get to her in just a minute. Before we do, I just want to remind you, if you want to connect with us, grab your phone, go to diff.church in the browser. You don't have to put .com or anything at the end. From there, you can um, give us feedback on how you think we're doing. We'd love to know what you like that we're doing. Uh, We'd love to know what you would like to see more of. Um, From there, you can also sign up for the mailing list. You can volunteer. One thing that we really need is volunteers for Pride. The month of June, every Saturday, we will have a booth at a Pride event. How cool is it that the city of St. Pete is celebrating Pride Month all month long? Pretty neat, right? Anyway, we're going to be there uh, every, at every event and we will be passing out stickers. I think we're gonna try and figure out how to sell shirts. Our band is even gonna perform on the 19th, but we could use some people to hang out in the booth with us. Um, Also, we are growing as a church and we could use uh, some volunteers, like once a month, nothing too crazy. Uh, And again, you can take care of that from diff.church. One last thing before we jump to Shannon, The first Sunday in June, we are actually going to be doing a diversity training in our service. This is something that we've offered before on the outside of service, and we just think that it's so important that we wanna do it during service. So it's the first Sunday in Pride Month, and we're just gonna be talking all about how we can better serve underserved people in our community. And if you ever had any questions about anything, this is a really good service to attend. Okay? Let's go ahead and get Shannon going here. She's going to talk about original sin, original grace, joy, um, all these really kind of heavy, smart topics. So much so that you would think she's a pastor.
1: But I am definitely not a pastor. I am kind of the complete opposite. I sit behind a computer every day and I am a data analyst. So what that means is people give me a whole bunch of information, I type it into a computer program and it spits out like really cool visualizations and pictures and so the presentations that I normally give at work are incredibly boring. Um, And so I am trying my best to make it not sound like I'm giving a boring visualization, like demonstration, like this is how much the growth is, this is how much this is, I'm just gonna go ahead and talk through and when I was practicing with my husband who's not here right now I think last time I was on stage doing announcements he was also deployed but he's down in Puerto Rico on deployment all I get is pictures of him at the beach so I don't really know what he's doing Um, (laughs) but he's not here today Um, but when I sent him a recording he's like it sounds like you're giving a TED talk And I'm like, well, that's my dream. I want to give it. That's like my number one dream, but it's not exactly a sermon. So I'm going to try my best to send as authentic as possible. But if I start sounding like a little robot, you can just wave at me and be like, yo, make it more personal, please. Um, But today we're going to talk about something that's actually really important to me. Um, Hannah gave me the like the prompt of, of finding a verse or finding someplace in the Bible that really resonates with me in my faith. And so today we're gonna to be reflecting through Romans 5, and we're gonna look at two different translations of these verses in Romans 5. I'm kind of a translation nerd. I really like to like pull up as many as I can and see which one I like the best, compare and contrast between the two of them, and I found two that are really great. Um, And so the reason we're gonna be focusing in Romans 5 is because it has had this major impact, not only on how I think about the church, but how I view myself, how I view the people around me, and how I view God, and how how I think that God views me. And so Romans 5 breaks down our relationship with God, and our relationship with God's grace. And it's at the center of this concept in Christian theology called the original grace. The original grace is a commentary, some might even call it a contradiction, um, to the idea of original sin. Now as a lot of you may know, growing up maybe in more traditional churches or being in the faith for a long time, the concept and the doctrine of original sin. But if you're newer to the faith and you haven't heard of what this doctrine is, I'm going to give you just a small overview. Original sin is a Christian doctrine that says that everybody is born sinful. It means that you're born with the built-in urge to do bad things and to disobey God. Original sin is considered to be the result of the actions of Adam and Eve. So what happened in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are in the garden, they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they get kicked out of the garden, and they're pretty much sentenced to death and sentenced to this original sin of always just inherently leaning towards and doing bad things. Now, sin is very difficult for me to talk about just in the sense of the word sin and the word sinner have been used as weapons against people within the church and within outside of the church walls. A lot of churches use this as a a way to gain power over people or a lot of churches use this in order to keep people from coming in the doors. So I've always felt really uncomfortable talking about it because it's been used against me to keep me out of churches. And so when I was praying about this sermon, and I was like, yay, God, what am I going to talk about? He's like, sin. He's like, you're going to talk about sin, but you're also going to talk about grace. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Uh, I don't really understand that, um, because I never really had that full concept of what grace was until a few years ago when I learned about this concept of original grace. And a lot of you have also probably been taught even from a young age, like even going to like a nursery class, maybe at a more traditional church, that you were born a sinner due to these actions of Adam and Eve. That you were born bad, that you have the inclination inside of you to be bad, and that even if you're saved and you work really hard, you're still labeled a sinner because of what Adam and Eve did. That's a really heavy topic to explain to a five-year-old. It's a really heavy topic to explain to somebody who's an adult coming into the church. And it's extremely disheartening to learn that you have no chance, that you have no choice, but you were born this way and you will stay this way until you die. And that even when you're taught about this amazing concept of Jesus dying on the cross and redeeming you, people within the church will still turn to you on a weekly basis and call you a sinner. Or maybe not say it to your face, but say it behind your back, which can be even more hurtful. And over time, this can cause major issues with self-worth, and it can cause major issues with how you start to view others. When I learned this, I grew up in a very small Baptist church. Um, Eventually when I was a teenager, I moved into mega churches because that's when mega churches were getting really cool and went to an event there and I was like, this is great. Um, And eventually ended up working at that mega church. I was still continually told these things throughout that. And it caused a lot of self-hate and it caused a lot of fear within me. I was struggling with a lot of things especially when this concept was really being dug into me around college, I was struggling with depression, I was struggling with anxiety, but I was also struggling with the fact that I was queer. How does that fit in? If I'm inherently born bad, does that mean that that's bad too? And it's because from the time that I was small, I was given the idea that my foundation, the thing that made me, my soul, was born to do bad things. I just had to work really hard not to do that. And then I was angry. Because the reason for this was a man, thousands of years ago, made a mistake. And there was nothing that I could do about it. And I was like, this just isn't fair. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. The God that I think that I know wouldn't do that. But it was even more than that. Because at the same time that I was being told that I was a sinner, I was also being told that I was born in the perfect image of God. And that's an incredible contradiction. How can I be in God's image, his perfect creation, fearfully and wonderfully made, but also a horrible sinner that just wanted to do bad things all the time? So I personally always defaulted back to the negatives about myself and about others due to that main foundation of me being taught was original sin. That concept was an excuse for me to treat people badly because not only was my foundation bad, but everybody's foundation was bad. So if they treated me badly, there was no reason, or if I treated someone else badly, there was no reason to have accountability because, you know, I'm just going to stay bad there's no way that I can improve upon this. Or when something good happened, I wasn't fully able to embrace the happiness and the joy of that positive event. Whether it was going to college or grad school or getting married or just any of these like life-altering, amazing times, I still had this inner thought of, I can't celebrate this. I can't be happy about this because I just, I'm not good enough. I haven't earned that. I'm still bad. And it's, it's not something that I personally think, after studying this concept for a while, it's biblical. And I want to challenge the concept of original sin as it is now. So I'm gonna have us read together through a portion of Romans. Romans 5, 15 through 18. If you wanna find that in your Bible or your Bible app, go for it. I'll give you guys a moment and I'm gonna give a little bit of a background about what Romans is. If not, that's totally fine. I'm gonna like throw it up on the screen here. Um, But I'm gonna give you two different translations of this. The first translation we're gonna go through is the New International Version. I did this translation because it's kind of one of the most common ones found in the Bible. So you might be able to match it up in your own Bible or Bible app. Um, But my favorite translation of it is in the Passion Translation, and we're going to do that one second. So Passion Translation is a lot more poetic, and it really goes towards what the true message of these verses are. But it's a little background. It was authored by Paul when he was in Cornith in the mid-50s AD. Um, So it's about 50 years after Jesus' death, and Paul is on his third missionary trip. And so he's sending out letters to his followers And this is the first and the only letter, you can quiz me on that later, I'll double check, but the only letter that he sends out to a group of people that he's never met before. So he sends this letter out to Rome, never met these people before, and he wouldn't meet them for another three years. So he needed to make sure that this had all the basics, all the most important parts of Christianity in it, so that they could have their church run for the next three years until he was able to see them. So I like this a lot, because it's just the basics. It's what you know Paul is thinking is the most important thing. So if we look at Romans 5, 15 through 18, New International Version, it says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, Overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? and that gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. Now I said before it's a little bit clunky and repetitive, but in the Passion version, it goes like this. Now there's no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. For the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of this transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to the many because of what one man, Jesus, the Messiah, did for us? And I really love that part that's up there that says, for the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. When I found that, it kind of made me like, tear up a little bit. kind of made me realize, um, through preparing for this, but also through a few years of deconstructing my faith, just what the meaning of this passage really was. And the gift that Paul is talking about is the grace of God. Paul's point is simply this. Whatever came upon the world or would come upon the world, humanity from the moment that you are born as a result of Adam's sin has been removed completely. And from the saving grace of Jesus dying and the universal gift of saving grace. And when you dig a little bit more through Romans, you're able to see that this grace is not just offered to saved Christians. This grace is not just offered to Christians. It is able to go to any race, any religion, any location. This grace is offered to everybody from the moment that they are born. This isn't something that you have to earn. This isn't something that you have to pray for. This is something that you're given. It is your birthright. And what was so cool to me in digging into these verses in Romans as well was that this gift transcended time. So it wasn't just, okay, everybody after Jesus died, they're, they're good. They got the grace. This grace went all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve and was reflected on all of those people. Time, God, Jesus didn't care about time. He's like, I invented that. I'm not going to deal with that. He's like, everybody gets this grace and everybody's saved. And so, original grace is that idea that with Jesus coming down to die for us, he took away that concept of being born in sin, and sin is our first and major inclination. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we don't hurt people or say hurtful things. And it also doesn't mean that we shouldn't be held accountable for those actions, What this means is that God's grace is bigger than anything we have done, anything we are doing, or anything that we will do. And it means that we're not marked with death from the time that we are born, but instead we're marked with love and with grace. Now just take a moment to think about that. When I first was told this concept, by a friend that I trust very much who actually recommended me to different church. Her name is Melissa. She's a friend of Hannah's. Um, I was really taken back because I, I was almost offended. I was like, what, how dare you tell me that I'm a good person? Like how dare you give me the concept that like I was born, not bad, but I was born good because I've spent what, 20 something years of my life believing this concept of the original badness to me. And it took me a few days to comprehend the meaning of what original grace was. And when I was fully able to chew down on that concept, it completely changed my entire faith. I was able to deconstruct that idea that no matter what, I was always going to do bad things. And instead, I was able to dig into the Bible And understand that true love, grace, and compassion was the plan that God had for me. And it also forced me to think about the way that I was treating others. Because I was not dealing with inherently bad people. I was dealing with children of God. Every day I was spending my experiences with people who were just as treasured and just as loved and people who accepted the same amount of grace that I was. And it gave me the courage to look at myself and build my relationship with God because I wanted to, not because I was afraid to. It's a concept that goes along with original sin that is, hey, you need to continually just be observing yourself all the time for all the sin that you're doing. And it creates these negative thought patterns within your mind and over-analyzing yourself, over, and it's, it's past the point of self-improvement, where you're like, okay, I want to work on this thing about myself, I'm going to be more aware. But it creates these negative s- cycles of thoughts. And in that, it can create a real fear of the faith, because you feel like you're not owning up, or you feel like you're not doing enough, or you feel like even when you do do enough, it's just, it's not the best. But when you're able to look at the fact that God created you in love and grace and didn't, you weren't created as a sinner, it changed the way that I thought that God looked about me. God looked at me. Because God looked at me with love. God looked at me with respect. God looked at me with a forgiving heart. Why couldn't I look at myself that way? He wasn't this scary figure in the sky that was going to spite me if I eventually did the worst thing, you know, whatever that may be, you know, showing up to church late. I don't know what the worst thing was. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't going to be spited. Instead, God was going to look down on me and be like, everybody goes to church late. You're good. <laughs> it Makes you look cool. Um, but it just changed the way and the, and the closeness that I wanted to have to God because there wasn't this foundation of fear. It was a foundation of now, it was a foundation of curiosity, and a foundation of love. And on top of that, I was able to fully allow myself to experience joy and happiness in my life. It took time to deconstruct the idea that I needed to suffer in order to feel joy. It's another concept that's normally taught to us, and it's not inherently wrong we will have joy within suffering. It's talked about a lot in the Bible. And we have experienced that, most of us, in our real lives, having good things come out of bad things. But the way that it was taught to me growing up was, you're a sinner, you're born that way, so you're going to suffer forever. Um, And you might get some joy every once in a while as like God being like, you were good enough for now. Here's a little sprinkle of joy. Um, And... So, I always thought, like, man, if I was happy outside of the fact that I was suffering, like, that's wrong. Because I grew up in that cycle. And so, when I was able to deconstruct that idea and think about the fact that God created me to have good experiences, God created me to be happy, it gave me the option to to really just sit down in those moments of joy and happiness in my life. When I got married, when I graduated, when we moved to Tampa, and it was sunny all the time, like, that's awesome. I just want to be happy with that, right? And I was able to actually sit in that joy. And that was really uncomfortable at first. Because, like I said, it was always connected to suffering. I was like, oh, when's the other shoe going to drop? But when you're able to sit not just with suffering, which is a very good thing to do as well, to process your emotions, but to sit with those happy times in your life and to really embrace that, it, it gives you the ability to see what God has for you. So if we think about this mindset of original grace, it can change the way that we think about not just ourselves, but the people around us, and them being in a never-ending grace. And we're able to think about all of those beautiful verses within the Bible, all over the Bible, that talk about the real feelings of God and what he calls us. I'm gonna come on over to Jesus because I always think about them, you know, in the Trinity all separate. So I think Jesus is like my cool brother, right? Um, like, I could actually sit down and talk to him. Like, when, I'm, when I did something bad, I'm like, yo, Jesus, I need some help. But, like, when I need, like, a big miracle, I'm like, sup, God? You're the one with all the magic powers. So, um, but if we go ahead and look at Jesus, because we actually have his, his words in the Gospels. I went through, it's a rather tedious task, but I went through all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and looked up in that red text, so the actual words of Jesus, how many times he says the word sinner. He says sinner 16 times in all of the Gospels. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, he says it zero times. Remember, the Gospels are pretty much retelling the same event of Jesus' life over and over, and so John didn't think any time that he said sinner was important. But the most important part about these 16 times is that he never once pointed at somebody and said, you, you're the sinner, you're doing bad things. Instead, it was always a response to a question somebody asked him about sin. So he used the word sinner as kind of like, all right, well, you said this in your question, so I'm gonna say it in my answer. Or he used it as a way to form equality with himself, I'm the friend of sinners. They're my buds. Like, I I like chilling with them. He never once said any words of condemnation when it came to the word sinner at all. And in fact, Jesus calls us children in some aspect, whether that be children of the kingdom, children of the most high, or just the word children, 27 times in the Gospels, which is over twice as many times as he says sinner. Sinner. And that's actually calling us something. That's actually giving us that name, that title. He also calls us beloved, friend, blessed, redeemed, whole, mother, brother, sister, and mine. So I want you to do an exercise for me. I want you to imagine, you don't have to close your eyes, but if you want to, you can. Um, (laughs) I want you to imagine when you first came to the faith, whether that be when you were really young and you can't really imagine, but you can try your best, into your adulthood, or if it was really recently. And I want you to imagine that the main concept that you were taught was of original grace. You were taught that you were born with the names that God calls us. Friend, masterpiece, treasure, beloved. You were taught that you're going to make mistakes, but the grace of God is so much bigger. These mistakes don't define you, they don't mark you, and you weren't made to do them. And that never once were you given the title of sinner. So in these last few moments, I'm going to have the band come back up. I'm going to move this back over here so that she actually has a place to sing. <laughs> um, but as the band comes back up, I'm going to give them a moment to kind of surprise them. Um, I'm going to say some words that I would like you to reflect on as we go through worship. And these words are your name in God's eyes. Because your name in God's eyes is not sinner or mistake or unwelcome. So as the band starts, I want you to think about these words. And they might be different. I put them on the slideshow, but I think I chose some different ones, so you guys don't have to put them up. These words are chosen. Loved, friend, masterpiece, beloved, and very good. And as you go into your week, I want you to reflect on those names and really take them as your identity. Take away the thought that you are a sinner, completely throw that out the door because it's false, it's wrong, and take on those names. I'm going to say them one more time, and then I'm going to come back and do a benediction. Chosen, loved, friend, masterpiece, beloved, and very good.